But we are in a series called Relationship Goals. And uh, last week we talked about the power of relationships and being connected with people. And so, so excited. We had over 450 people get connected into life groups last week. And uh, come on, that's something to celebrate. What I'm most excited about as well, we have over 23 life groups of freedom life groups out of the 56 life groups that we have going on, 23 are freedom. We have over, listen to me, we have over 195 people going through freedom this semester, this semester. So if you're one of those, welcome. And uh, if you've never been through it, we encourage you at some point to go through it. But I'm, I'm really excited about that. And uh, just excited what God's doing in relationships. And so today we're kind of gearing it uh, towards married people. But if you are single, do not tune me out. Uh, because a lot of these goals that we're going to be talking through over the coming weeks is uh, just relationship goals in general. They can apply to marriage. But they can also apply to friendships, to dating, to engagements, to family, um, so many things there. And so I want us to dive in today in God's Word. Come on, anybody love God's Word? Okay, Genesis chapter 2, real quick, just let you know, the more you respond to me, the faster I preach, the quicker you can get to La Rumba. And so, um, <laughs> Genesis chapter 2, or wherever you're going. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. We talked about this, this uh, verse last week. Here's the rest of it. I'm going to make you a helper, a helper. And every man said, two men said amen. No, that's not. <laughs> amen, amen. And so I'm going to make a helper who's just right for him. Because how many know men need some help? And that's what the wives said, amen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. The Lord God said, uh, God made a, a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. I love this. At last. At last. Now, I don't know. If you, I find that hilarious. find it hilarious for a number of reasons. Y'all know one of Adam's jobs before, before Eve was ever on the on the scene, Adam, God created all the animals, and God had the, God give, gave Adam the responsibility of naming all the animals. Did y'all know that? That's a big responsibility. Rhinoceros, blame Adam. Hippopotamus, Adam. Okay, and I can only imagine as he's, as he's hanging out with these animals, he's thinking, giraffe, yeah, she's a little too tall for me. You know, so this is, I mean, he's trying to find someone to have companionship with. And the closest maybe he got was to an ape or, or I don't know, something. And so here it is. He falls asleep and he wakes up and here's this beautiful naked woman in front of him. And he says, at last. <laughs> so, okay, now I'm catching y'all up to how I find humor in the Bible. <laughs> at last. And it says, this one is bone for my bone and flesh for my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Father, we love you. God, I thank you today, Lord, for your church. I thank you that you are a speaking God. And today, as we open up your word, as we dive into uh, your word, I pray, God, that it would do what only it can do. Holy Spirit, would you do what only you can do? Open minds, illuminate your truth, save people. God, I pray, set people free. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So God, today, Lord, we welcome you in this house. And God, we thank you today, Lord, that you are here and that it's not raining. And everybody said, 
Amen. I'm done with rain for a little while. How many of you have ever seen the hashtag relationship goals? How many have seen that hashtag relationship goals? If you go on Instagram right now, the hashtag relationship goals has uh, been put on Instagram over 11 million times. 11 million times. People use that often. I like to post pictures and um, do a lot of things on social media as well. I feel like it's a way to connect with you and for you to connect with me. And so often I like to highlight my, my beautiful bride. Um, I have an incredible bride. Uh, we've been married now for 16 years. Yeah, y'all should, y'all are applauding her, right? <laughs> and so 16 years, almost 16 years, is it? We're still 15? Oh, you know what? It just feels so good. It's been like 16 years. And um, I chalk that one up as a win. And, um, and so, you know, a lot of times when I post things, I, I, people have actually put that as a comment, relationship goals. And, and however much I'm, I'm honored by that, and, um, and I, I, I do feel like I have a great relationship goal. Um, most people don't realize what they're, what they're doing when they say that because oftentimes people will use that hashtag as a means to say, that's what I want. Relationship goals. A relationship goal. Like one day I hope I have that. And however much I appreciate that people look up to us and our marriage, um, oftentimes social media can be the highlight reel but not the behind the scenes. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like everybody, you post your best, but you hide the rest. Come on, somebody with me. Come on, preach with me. All right. That you post all those family pictures up there and everybody looks gorgeous, but they don't realize you killed your kids and then resurrected them to get that family picture. You threatened their life. You told them you're taking away every single game system that they have if they do not smile. Like, you know what I mean? And you post that picture, and everybody's like, oh, my God, that's so amazing. And you're like, I almost killed. It was the worst, worst day ever. <laughs> and this is the truth, that we post these things. You know, we, we post the things about our food, and it looks amazing. They don't realize you had 25 Pinterest fails before you got this one that looks really nice. That, that when you go to take a picture of yourself, if you've been an Instagram husband, you've got to take the picture 17 times before your wife can approve it. I'm not saying from example, but I'm just saying for, for y'all. That, you, you, that there's these things that you wear, you have, to, you have to show the best and hide the rest. And I was a little bit transparent even this week um, for Valentine's Day because, you know, Valentine's is a, it's a great day. We honor the ones that we love. But because we often can be a society that highlights these amazing things and our amazing marriages, we, we forget to show people a little bit of behind the scenes of really what happens behind the scenes. And, um, and however much I'm honored that people would, would look up to my wife and I, and I love my wife with everything. She's my best friend. Uh, and I don't say that just because you're in front of me. She really is. We enjoy spending time together. Fridays are my, my days off. And so Fridays have become Buffalo Wing Fridays for us. We got a new, new habit we've just started creating. So we go work out together and then I come home and I make Buffalo Wings and a little, little fries with some cheese on it. Come on, somebody. And so, little deal. You never know when you got buffalo wings and cheesy fries. Things just happen. And so, it's awesome. But we serve God together. We're on mission together. It's an honor to be pastors together. 
Um, but what most, most people don't realize is we also have challenges and hardships, uh, hardships and struggles. And if I can be very, very transparent and honest, uh, my wife is overly emotional and she is stubborn as a mule at times. And I can be extremely demanding and I can be very harsh and unemotional and Oftentimes, people want you to see the best and hide the rest. And I, I just today, I just felt like I need to kind of pull the curtain back um, of my own marriage and, and, and just welcome you into 15 years <laughs> of a, uh, almost 16 in April of times where our marriage has been filled with massive miscommunication. Our marriage has been filled with us saying the wrong thing. Our marriage has been filled with very hurtful times, um, hurt feelings, um, intense conversations. That's the Christian word for fighting. <laughs> intense conversations. Um, I mean, the last time we had a fight, Lindsay came to me crawling in on her hands and knees, and she said, get out from underneath that bed and fight like a man. So, so <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that is funny. I've slammed doors. We've hung up on each other. She's tried to get out of a moving vehicle. Um, I mean, all these things are happening. We, we, and I thought today, I, I wanted to share with you some things that we fought about. I think it might make you feel good. Does this make anybody in here feel good a little bit for a moment here? We fight. We fight. We fight. Yeah, we fight. We fight about the house. We fight about what to put in the house. We fight about her sticky notes that are all over the house. We fight about the mess that I create. We fight about the fact that me and the boys can't put up our plates and put them in the dishwasher like they're supposed to go. We fight about how you're actually supposed to put dishes in the dishwasher. We fight about the fact that you're supposed to clean the dishes before you actually put them in the dishwasher, which I don't understand why we got a dishwasher if I got to clean the dishes before I got to put them in the dishwasher. Anybody with me? Okay. We fight about the fact that uh, we walk into the house with shoes on when she has just cleaned the house. And my wife is a beautiful woman, but demons come out of this woman when I walk into there <laughs> with my shoes on. It reminds me of a, of a story of a police officer who, who uh, called the police station and he said, hey, he said, we, we have an accident. I said, what happened? He said, a woman shot her husband. Why? Because he walked on the floors when they were still wet. Dispatch says, well, did you arrest her? He said, no, the floors are still wet. <laughs> that's funny. That's funny. We, we fight about how I drive. We fight about how she can't drive. We fight about how... That's <laughs> true. We fight about how she can't read directions. It's true. We fight, we fight about, <laughs> we fight about how I, I read my phone while I'm driving. We've, what is going on here? Okay. I, was, I know we have police officers in here. I don't do it often. Um, we fight about how I don't wash my hands well enough. We fight about how often we should be using Germex. So let me give you a story here. Okay, I'm bearing my, bearing my sins before you. So a number of weeks ago, I don't, I don't remember what we were doing. We were, at, we were in Tennessee. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate you. All right. <laughs> my son is reminding me. 
we're in Tennessee, and Lindsay's like, hey, I need you to, I don't know, I came in the car from someone, I don't know if I pumped the gas or something, she said, hey, I need you to, you know, germ your hands, you know. And so we have, she actually has in our van a, a Germex pump, like, next to us, so nobody's got an excuse. I say nobody, it's just me and her that drive. And so I don't have any, it's a pump, it's a pump, it's just a, you know, kind of thing. And so she said, hey, I need you to germ your hand. I said, okay. And so I went and simulated that I did the pump and then did this. And she said, you did not just do that. I said, what you talking about? She said, you didn't, you didn't put it on your hands. I'm like, woman, let me smell them. <laughs> Dang it. And so then she pulls out the pump and she's like, I'm going to treat you like you're six year old now. Now I'm going to pump it in your hands all the time. <laughs> so since then, she is now my pumper. She's <laughs> Get in line, boys. <laughs> We fight about what clothes to wear, what clothes I should get rid of. <laughs> we fight about when is enough shoes enough. We fight about what I eat, what I don't eat. <laughs> we fight about the pronunciation of words. <laughs> Thank God for Google. Uh, so if you ever look at us and say, I want that, I want you to think about what you're wanting. <laughs> because... It's not perfect. And I like the, pe the, the fact that people do admire our marriage. And uh, that is very honoring. But I, I just want you to be very clear that, um, that we have a lot of imperfections as well. Um, and, and there's a lot of people that have done relationships wrong. And I know people just want to get better. And I'm so grateful for that. We deal with, people deal with relationships now where there's a lot of bitterness, there's a lot of anger, there's a lot of frustrations, a lot of things that are said that should never be said. And, and so uh, today I, I want to share just one goal, one, one goal, one relationship goal that really, to be honest with you, if, if, if Lindsay and I could say there was one goal that anybody would look at our marriage and say, it would be this one. And, and if I could say, if there's any goal I want you to have, in your relationships is this one goal. This is the, the foundation. We're going we're gonna to build from here. We're going to talk about communication. We're going to talk about fighting. We're going to talk about all those different things in the weeks to come. But if we overlook this goal, all the other stuff doesn't matter. So here's the first goal. Relationship goal number one is to be Christ-centered. Christ-centered. I pray more than anything that people that look at our relationships, that they would just say, those people are Christ-centered. Now, I want you to listen to me closely. Being Christ-centered is a lot different than just calling yourself a Christian. All right, y'all ready? Listen, just because we call ourselves Christian doesn't mean we're Christ-centered in the way that we live. If you are a Christian, God does not want to be on your list. He wants to be at the top of your list. Let me put it a different way. If God is on your list, but he's not at the top, he's not on your list. See, because this is what scripture tells us, Matthew 6, it says, for us, can you throw the scripture up for me? But seek, what? Everybody help me with that. Seek, seek first, seek first, first, 
So the priorities of first, the first things that we do, seek first God's kingdom, seek first God's righteousness, and and all these things will be given to you as well. All all the marriage issues that you got going on, all the relational drama that you have that's going on, all of those things will get worked out if we will just be a people who will seek first God. We will put God at the center, God at the top. Christianity is not a belief system. Listen to me very closely. You're not a Christian because you believe in God. Satan believes in God. You're not a Christian because you have a belief in God. Doesn't make you a Christian at all. Christianity is not a belief system. It's a priority system. Christianity is I surrender my life to the number one ruler of my life. His name is Jesus. So most people want to go to church. They just don't want to surrender their life to the man who owns the church. Jesus and Jesus alone. Is anybody in here with me on this? That Jesus has to be the first. He is the first. It's a priority issue. Why does all this matter? Because all of our lives are centered around something. Every person in this room, your life is centered around something right now. I I am compelling you and encouraging you and hopefully by the Holy Spirit challenging you to just put Jesus at the center of it all. Why? Because what is at the center of your life impacts everything else. What is at the center of your life impacts your beliefs. It impacts your actions. It influences your behavior. It influences your attitude. It dictates how you spend your money. It dictates how you raise your kids. It dictates how you, how you build a great marriage. Whatever you're building your life on, whatever is at the center, it impacts everything. We've kind of been talking about this theme really this whole year is this idea of like, what is the captain of our heart? What is the captain of our soul? What's, what is in that captain seat? Because whatever's in the captain seat dictates everything. So we can sit here and talk about, you know, how to, how to deal with conflict in marriage and how do I, you know, my husband's not saved and how do I deal with that? And, and, you know, we're having relational issues and we're, we're, you know, a blended family and how do we go through that? And, and we'll get into practical tips on some of those things. But if we don't first say, Hey, Jesus is going to be at the center of everything that we do first and foremost. I mean, none of that other stuff matters. Jesus needs to be at the center. Whatever's at the center impacts the rest of your life. See, because you could be married and your marriage isn't even at the center because you're at the center. Most people get divorced because they say things like this, well, we just fell out of love. Well, getting divorced because you fell out of love is like selling your car because you ran out of gas. You know what you do? You fill it back up. And most people who say that, well, we just fell out of love, is because their whole life was actually not centered around the marriage or around God. It was actually really centered around them. And when that person didn't fulfill what they wanted, they said, I'm done with you. Because you're not doing what I want, what I need, what I this, I that, I this. And so maybe you're at the center of your life. Maybe your kids are at the center. That, that we spend all of our lives, and, and listen, we all want to be great parents. I know. I got three boys. I want to be an incredible dad, and I want, to, I want us to have, be incredible parents. But my life does not center around my kids at all. 
And we're going to do stuff together, and they're going to go do sports activities and all those things that are going. But at the end of the day, it's not all about them. And if everything is about them, how many know we raise an entitled generation if everything is all about them and what they want, when they want it, how they want it? Is, am I preaching to anybody in this place? Hey, listen to me very closely. Your children are a temporary assignment. Temporary assignment. They are to come, stay for a little while, get trained, and leave. Look at that person that's 20 years old that's still in your house and tell them. No, I'm joking. <laughs> you heard Pastor Josh, it's time to go. Pack your bags when you're getting home. You're done. No, they are. They're temporary. But listen to me. Your children are a temporary assignment. God uses you to raise them up and release them like arrows, but your marriage is an eternal assignment. Your marriage is forever, forever. And what ends up happening is you send these kids on their way, and then you look at each other and go, who are you? Because so much of our life has been centered around our kids. So we got to find ways to change that. Let me put it in a, in a, in a point for you. Ready? In a Christ centered marriage, God is my number one. My spouse is my number two. In a Christ centered marriage, God is my number one. My spouse is my number two. Now by a show of hands, how many in here are not married, but you hope to get married one day? Raise your hand. You're not married, but you hope to get, keep your hands up, keep your hands up, keep your hands up. Look around, look around, look around, keep your hands up, look around, look around. Hey, I'm trying to help you out here. Look around, look around. No, I'm <laughs> hey, all that I ask is if you do get hooked up, just to name your first child Joshua. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Listen, there is what I call the Jerry Maguire myth. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The idea that you complete me. And it's, it's all nice and cool and in this sappy love story and, oh, you complete me. But it is so wrong because this is what this says to every person who's single in this room is that until you're married, you're not complete. That you in some way feel less than because I got all these married people around me and I'm not married. And so I am not complete in and of myself. I'm here to tell you one is a whole number. Single is a whole number. It's not a fraction. There's nobody that can complete you. The only person who can complete you is one man, and his name is Jesus. Jesus brings completion into your life. And if you are looking to someone to complete you, you are going to put an expectation on somebody that they are never designed to handle. You are going to treat them as if they are God in their, your life. And when they fail you, you will get rid of them because undoubtedly they were not the one. And so you got to go look for the next one and the next one and the next one, not realizing that you are complete in and of yourself. Never put God expectations on people. They will always fail you. Anybody been married for longer than three days? Has your spouse failed you? Morgan. <laughs> Morgan and Taryn just got married last, this, on Monday. They got married this, this past Monday. So, hey, newlyweds in the house. Morgan, you better be taking notes. Okay, so this is, this is so true, though. But we fall into this myth that I've got to find my one. 
Well, can I just go ahead and debunk that myth already? Because here's, here's why that myth doesn't even work already. Because any person in this universe that happened to have not married their one and married somebody else, they just screwed it up for everybody else. That was my one. You married my one. So here, I want to I I issue out a new challenge today for all those that are singing here. Oh, I found my one. Let me give you a new quote. I found my two. That's what it should be. I found my two. Because if, if your one is not seeking the one, it won't be good for you. It won't be. I love the fact that Lindsay Elizabeth Belt loves God more than me. I love that. I hope she does. She hopes that I do. Because if she loves God more than me, she'll be able to handle me. I'll be able to handle her. We'll be able to work through our differences. Because God is number one. Now for those that are not married, I want you to write this down. If you want a Christ-centered relationship in the future, you need to live a Christ-centered life today. If you want a Christ-centered relationship in the future, you need to live a Christ-centered life today. You need to understand that you can't be living a lifestyle that is not God-honoring and think that one day you're going to get a God-honoring marriage. I'll, 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 you know, I'll start going to church when I get married, and I'll start getting plugged in when I get married, and I'll really settle down and give my life to God when I get married. Listen, no, you won't. No, you won't. And you'll probably get married to someone that you probably shouldn't get married to because you're trying to look for something that you really need to find in God, but you're trying to find it in somebody else. And so instead of finding it in God, you find it in somebody else. And then you get married and you realize it's not all what it's cracked up to be. And then you get divorced and you do it all over again. So you need to understand that if you want to live a Christ-centered relationship in the future, you got to live one today. Which means like you got to commit to purity today. Like if you're having sex outside of marriage... You're doing it not God's way. And yet it's crazy that people want God's blessings, but they don't want to do it God's way. But I can tell you right now, pastoring for 18 years now, I have yet to meet one person that has said, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm committing to purity today. Maybe they blew it. It's the thing I love about God. God gives you a second virginity. He'll restore and people say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to commit to honor God. I'm going to commit to wait for my spouse. I'm going to commit to purity. I've, I've yet to ever marry somebody up on the stage and they go, man, I just so regret that I waited. But I can tell you the countless people that I've counseled with that wish they would have. Anybody in here know what that's like? That they wish they would have. And I, I, I'm standing on a stage I waited. I'm not doing that to brag. I'm doing that hopefully to model to your children that you can wait and you don't explode. <laughs> I guess possible. But how I many you know, listen, how I many you want God to bless your marriage? How I many want God to bless your marriage? Yeah. Hey, then let's just do it God's way. Don't be living together. That's not honoring to God. Man, make, hey, put a, put a stake in the ground and say, you know what, we're going to honor God from this day forward. We'll help you. I, I've married people within seven days. Say, Let, let's make this right. Let's get married. Okay? Been engaged for 13 years. Okay, it's time to get married now. Let's do this. What are we waiting on? 
So if you want to live a Christ-centered life in the future, you got to live a Christ-centered life today. So how do we become Christ-centered in our marriage? You know, I normally would give you a list of a lot of great things, and I have before. Read your Bible together, go to church together. Those are great things. You should be doing those things. But one of the things I'm learning, especially coming out of the habit series in January, is that if you give people too many things to do, they do none of them. So today I'm going to give you one. And this one thing, I believe if you will begin to do this one thing, it will be like the keystone habit that we talked about in the habit series. It will domino effect. And you'll do other God-honoring things after you do this one thing. So we're going to keep it real simple today. Real simple. One thing that I believe can impact your relationships the most. Ready? Here we go. Christ-centered action is to commit to pray together daily. Daily. James chapter 5 verse 16 says this. I love this. Make this your common practice. Confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you can live together. Now watch this. This is why we do this. So you can live together, what? Whole and healed. The, the whole strategy of the enemy is for you to live divided and unhealthy. It's his whole strategy. To steal, to kill, to destroy. God says, no, no, listen, if you want to live healed and you want to live whole, man, confess, confess your weaknesses to one another. Pray for one another. And then the, the prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. Powerful to be reckoned with. This is what God has called us to do, and I think this is one of the most underutilized tools to create true spiritual health, spiritual strength. And if I was the enemy... I would do everything that I possibly could to keep every Christian couple away from praying for one another. Because what the enemy knows, and also what God knows, is when you pray together, you bond together. When you pray together, you stay together. When you pray together, God strengthens things in you. When you pray together, you get your eyes off yourself, you put it on Jesus. When you Y'all with me? Anybody with me today? So, I just got back from Israel, and... Um, the first day that we landed was uh, Thursday night. We slept over, and then Friday, we got a chance to be with a rabbi. And the rabbi came with us on most of, most of this trip, but the first day he said was, I, I want to teach y'all a tradition that we do every Friday night, which is called Shabbat. Now, Shabbat is the Sabbath. We know the Bible says that you should take, you know, work six, take off one. So they, they really follow that. Friday night at sundown all the way to Saturday night at sundown, they practice Shabbat. Almost the entire state of Israel shuts down from Friday night to Saturday night. And he said, I, I, we want to teach you what we do. And so they, they came into our hotel and we got into this meeting room and he brought his entire family, three young little kids, you know, probably two, four, six, his wife. And they came in and every Thursday night, they take communion together as, as a family. Um, and Friday night, they take communion together. And then he individually grabs each one of his kids and he prays over each one of them. And he does this in front of us. He's like, I'm not just doing this to do this. He's like, we do this every Friday. And his wife is like, yeah, we do this every Friday. 
And then he grabs his wife and he prays Proverbs 31 over her. It's a powerful one. And, uh, and so he said, uh, that actually his wife said this. His wife said, you know what makes this so powerful though? Not just that my husband's praying with me and praying over me. You know how hard it is to have an argument and know that you got to pray with your wife? Like, do you know how hard it is to, to stay mad at somebody? I mean, you could. I mean, God, I pray they got hemorrhoids. And God, I pray that you would just, you know, until he listens to me, Lord, just, you know. I mean, you could. But, I mean, for you to genuinely pray for your spouse. Man, I just felt so convicted. And it wasn't like a condemnation type of way. I just felt convicted. Like, I mean, I pray with my wife. I, I pray with my boys. But not every day. Man, I, I don't, I don't want to just be once a week. And I, I, I do want to make that a commitment to do that. So I, I'm issuing this challenge to all of us in this room. That we would all commit. If, you're, if, you, have a, if you have a fiance, pray together. You have a best friend, pray together. I mean, this doesn't just have to be a marriage. What would, what would your friendship look like if you called your best friend and said, hey, just every day, let's just pray together. Like this is a this is a principle that's across the board, not just in marriages. And so I, I know I, I can hear it right now, Pastor Josh. I don't know how to pray. I've never prayed out loud, or I don't do that. Okay, I understand that. So I want to help you. I want to give you three things that I think will help you when it comes to us putting this practice into play. Number one, keep it short. <laughs> this isn't like intercessory prayer. <laughs> beseeching the throne for an hour. <laughs> Your husband's like, seriously, baby, I got to go to work. I mean, come on. Dear the Lord, praying for every cousin. Okay. It just take the pressure off, like grab their hand for 15 seconds, 10 seconds, 30 seconds, a minute, whatever you feel comfortable, and just, just keep it short. God, thank you for this gift. Got to pray over them today. God bless them in all that they do. Amen. Like, keep it short. Number two, keep it consistent. Keep it consistent. I, I would suggest you, you pray before something. Like, y'all remember when we did the habit loop? We talked about one of the things we talked about was a trigger. Then it created the habit, and then there was a reward for it. I would encourage you to maybe create a habit loop. So like, hey, every morning before I go to work, we're going to pray together. That's a trigger. Before I walk out the door, we're going to pray. Or, hey, right before we go to bed, we're going to pray. Or a meal or whatever. Just, just figure out what, that was, what that's going to be for you. You need to create, create it to be a habit. Let it be consistent. And then number three is if, if you miss a day, don't miss two. <laughs> don't miss two. So if you say, well, I, I really don't know what to pray. So I wrote one down. I'll post it on our Facebook page if you want. And you can, you can copy it and pray it. I pray the same three things over my boys every morning when I drive, drop them off to school. It's the same thing. Pray it every day. Pray that they have, they'd have wisdom like the three Hebrew boys. I pray that they would have incredible friends because we know that bad company corrupts good morals. Pray that over them every day. And I pray that they would be a Christian example like, like Timothy. He says, don't let anyone look down on you and, and be an example to those in faith, purity, love, action. I pray the same thing. So you can pray the same thing over your spouse. If you want to pray something different, that's fine. 
I just want to give you some tools. That's all I'm wanting to do. I want to give you tools. These are tools. They're not rules. You don't have to do it like this. So just, this is, this is the prayer I wrote down. Dear God, give us wisdom and clear direction in all that we do today. Help us to show your love to each other and shine your light into the world. Keep us close to you. Keep us away from temptation. God, I pray that we'd always be in your will in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. And before long, you'll add your own words. This is a challenge, not just to people in here that maybe are new to God. I think this is a challenge to all of us in here who've known God for a long time. It's a challenge to me. I mean, I, I, I have not done this well. So, so this message is just for me as much as it is for you. We're going to be, be, be men. And I, I want to challenge every man in this room. Don't let your wife be the one that has to remind you. Step up. I'll tell you right now, there ain't nothing sexier than a man grab his wife and go, can I pray for you? Can I lay hands on you? Can we speak in tongues together? <laughs> Whoa. Come on. I know there's a number of you that say this. Pastor Josh, my husband's not here. My wife's not here. They don't love God. They can care less about all this that you're talking about. I understand the reality of that. We're actually going to talk a lot more about that in the coming weeks. So what do I do? You can still pray for them. I'm going to tell you what. What will win your spouse to the Lord is not you preaching at them, but praying for them. Grab that man's hand. Say, hey, I just... God, I love this man. Thank you for the gift that he is. And just begin to speak things over him that you, he may not be right now, but you know God's called him to be. God, I thank you that this man will be a man of God. I thank you that he's a great provider for our family. Just start speaking things over him. Oftentimes you don't realize your words are pushing him away more than drawing him close. So instead of reminding him all the things that he's not, why don't you remind him of what the Bible says that he is? That he's the son of God. And you can do that over your wife too. You can do that over your wife too. God, I just thank you. Let me end with this last, last thought. That is that in order for relationships to work, you got to let the one who designed them define them. You want to know why your relationship might not be working? It's because you're trying to define it based off of the world standards, not God's standards. And if he's the one who designed it, how do you know he's the one that gets to define it? If God says, this is how you do relationships, guess what you say? Yes. Yes. Would you bow your heads in this place? If, if your spouse is there with you, go ahead, grab their hand. Actually, I'm going to invite my wife to come up here. Come here, babe. And we just want to pray over marriages today, and then, and then we're going to close this service out. But God, today, Lord, we thank you for every 
person that's in this room, and we right now lift up every marriage that's in this room. And God, we know that the enemy is on an onslaught attack to divide what you have meant to be unified. So we pray right now for supernatural protection over every marriage in this place. God, I pray right now, Lord, that you would restore what the enemy meant to divide and to conquer. I pray that today would be a defining moment. God, maybe words have been said that shouldn't have been said. Maybe things have been done that shouldn't have been done. But today, we recognize our need for you. God, we want to be Christ-centered. God, we want to, we want to honor you. God, you have designed this. You have ordained this. You have joined us together. So today, God, we want to put you back in your rightful place. God, I pray for every man in this room that you would challenge them to step into the spiritual headship that you've called them to be in. God, that they would take lead of the spiritual environments of their family. God, I pray, Lord, that they would live a life that is an honor to you, an example. I pray for every wife in this room, God, that not only would she be a helper as you described in Genesis, but God, that she would be a strength, a source of strength to her man, to her family. Pray that you would bless her in all that she does. God, I pray that you would use her words to bring life to those around them for all the families. God, we pray for these families today. Now, if you're here in this room and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where this all begins. It doesn't matter where we go from here if your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. God so loves you that he gave his life. He died a death that you and I should have died. And he rose again. And he's covered your shame. He's taken your shame. He's taken your guilt. And if you want to have a relationship that lasts, it has to be Christ-centered. But a relationship can only go as far as you are. Maybe today you have recognized that you've put other things at the center of your life. Maybe it's been your work. Maybe it's been money. Maybe it's, maybe it's been your kids. Maybe it's been religion. Maybe you think because you go to church and you give or you serve or because you, you know, you've taken communion or you've been baptized that you're right. But the Bible says that none of that, none of that makes us right with God. The only thing is, is that we surrender our life to Jesus. It's as simple as ABC. We admit that we are apart from Christ, that we are, we can't do this, that we're sinners, that our sin has broken our relationship with God, that we be, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is our Lord and your Savior, and that to see if we will confess him as our Lord and Savior, that he will come and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will give you a new heart, new desires. If you're here in this place, Say, Pastor Josh, I want to center my life around Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. That's you. On the count of three, shoot your hand up. One, two, three. If that's you, going up all across this room, all across this room. Come on, don't be ashamed. Come on today. Today's the day. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, 
12, 13. Come on. Awesome. You can put your hands down right there where you are. We want to just pray this all together. Say, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take my sin, my shame, and my guilt. You love me, and you displayed it on the cross. You rose again to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, I turn from my sins, and I turn to you as my Lord and Savior. I'll follow you from this day forward in Jesus' name. Amen.